This is the World in Brief from The Economist. Our top stories. Luiz Inácio Lula da Silva won Brazil's knife-edge presidential election with 50.8% of the vote. A leftist former president, he beat Jair Bolsonaro, the right-wing incumbent, and will be sworn in on January 1, 2023. Tensions ran high on Sunday after supporters of Lula accused the Federal Highway Police of erecting roadblocks in the country's northeast, Lula's base, to suppress turnout. At least 153 people died in a crush during Halloween celebrations in Seoul, the capital of South Korea, including 22 foreigners. Another 82 were injured and the city has reportedly received thousands of missing person reports. The president, Yoon Suk-yeol, declared a period of national mourning and promised an official investigation into the tragedy, which took place in the Itaewon district, a popular area for nightlife. Widespread protests against the government continued in Iran, despite a warning from the regime's revolutionary guards on Saturday that the demonstrations must end. Thousands of students and others were confronted by police firing tear gas and live rounds. The protests were sparked by the death of Masa Amini after she was arrested by police for wearing an, quote, improper hijab on September the 13th. NATO and the EU encouraged Russia to reverse course after it withdrew from a UN-brokered deal, allowing grain exports from Ukrainian ports. Russia claimed that Ukrainian drones had attacked ships from its Black Sea fleet, taking part in the initiative. Antonio Guterres, the UN Secretary-General, said he was, quote, deeply concerned by Russia's action. At least 81 people died when a suspension bridge collapsed in the western Indian state of Gujarat. The tragedy happened in the town of Morbi. The bridge had been closed for renovation for six months and had only recently been reopened to the public. Officials said they would investigate whether the bridge was reopened without proper safety checks. China passed a new, quote, Women's Rights and Interests Protection Law aimed at combating gender discrimination and harassment. It is the first such change to the law in 30 years, although the exact details of the new measure have not yet emerged. However, the legislation comes at a time of concerns over the continuing marginalisation of women in politics and other spheres of life. Two car bombs killed at least 100 people in Mogadishu, Somalia's capital, said Hassan Sheikh Mohammed, its president. The attack came as Mr Mohammed, his prime minister and other officials met to discuss combating violent extremists, in particular those of al-Shabaab, a jihadist group affiliated with al-Qaeda. No one immediately claimed responsibility for the blasts. An al-Shabaab truck bomb at the same place in 2017 killed more than 500 people. And fact of the day, $1.7 trillion, the amount President Joe Biden has pledged to spend in bills on infrastructure, semiconductors and the environment over the next decade. And now, here's a deeper look at the day ahead. New Italian government, familiar economic problems. Italy's latest GDP figure is due out on Monday. 
The preliminary estimate is expected to show the economy flatlined at best in the third quarter after a healthy performance in the first half of the year. Parliament's Budgetary Committee on October 19th predicted a quarter-on-quarter drop of 0.2%, and that was before Friday's shocker, a leap in the annual rate of consumer price inflation in October to a wholly unexpected 12.8% from 9.4% the previous month. The energy-driven inflation affecting the whole of Europe is among several economic headaches for Georgia Maloney's newly installed right-wing government. Ms. Maloney is expected to introduce a package of measures to mitigate the impact on households of rising prices. With Italy's government debt already amounting to 150% of GDP, there is a limit to how much she can spend without unsettling investors. A market crisis is the very last thing her government needs. Just ask Liz Truss. Affirmative Action's Last Stand Since 1978, America's Supreme Court has allowed the limited use of racial preferences in university admissions to foster the educational benefits of diversity. In 2003 and 2016, legal challenges to affirmative action fell one vote short in the highest court. But on Monday, a pair of cases involving Harvard University and the University of North Carolina give the justices another opportunity to nix race-conscious admissions. The court's six Republican-appointed members should be a receptive audience. Students for Fair Admissions, the plaintiff in both suits, is the brainchild of Edward Bloom, a conservative activist who brought the previous cases, too. SFFA argues that Grutter v. Bollinger, the 2003 decision, is, quote, egregiously wrong and must be overturned. Harvard's tip for Black and Hispanic students is not modest but, quote, mammoth, the organization says, and, quote, discriminates against Asian Americans. Harvard counters that its policies, quote, fully align with the constitutional requirement of equal protection and reflect, quote, common-sense reality, not stereotype. Hong Kong's Financial Summit Mired in COVID After more than two years largely sealed off from the outside world and a violent crackdown on democracy, Hong Kong's reputation has taken a beating. But the government hopes to revive its vulnerable status as Asia's top commercial hub this week with a high-profile summit of global leaders from the finance industry. It will be a hard sell. Hong Kong is still physically isolated from mainland China as a result of zero-COVID policies, threatening its traditional role as a business gateway to the mainland economy. Wall Street bosses are among the attendees, but some will be notable by their absence. A recent COVID-19 diagnosis will keep the head of Citigroup, Jane Fraser, at home. Hong Kong still requires multiple tests for visitors and enforced isolation for those testing positive. Paul Chan, the city's financial secretary, aims to attend despite having contracted COVID on a trip to Saudi Arabia. Zero COVID, it seems, still means lots of COVID. Ukraine's grain, stuck at port again. Not a single ship packed with grain and other foodstuffs was able to leave Ukraine on Sunday, after Russia backed out of a deal guaranteeing safe passage for commercial vessels through the Black Sea. Russia announced it was suspending its participation in a UN-brokered agreement, quote, for an indefinite period, on Saturday, in response to a Ukrainian attack on its Black Sea fleet earlier that day. Since early August, when the deal came into effect, 
Ukraine has been able to export more than 9 million tons of grain, saving its farmers from bankruptcy. The agreement has also eased a global food shortage, brought down prices, and prevented some 100 million people from falling into extreme poverty, according to the UN. Its collapse would undo many of those gains. It may also expose Ukraine's ports, whose waters have been demined to allow ships to pass, to new Russian attacks. Merit Oppenheim's Storm in a Teacup Merit Oppenheim was 22 and chatting with Pablo Picasso and Dora Maar in a Paris cafe when she dreamt up the artwork that would make her famous, a fur-covered cup, saucer, and spoon that she called Object. Hailed as quintessentially surrealist, this playfully erotic and unnerving sculpture caused a sensation for decades. Yet Oppenheim herself, who died in 1985, has largely escaped notice. Merit Oppenheim, My Exhibition, a grand survey of more than 180 works at New York's Museum of Modern Art, should fix this error of omission. The show arrives at a time when curators everywhere have become fascinated again by the Freudian dreamscapes of surrealism, and keen on highlighting the often overlooked work of women. A few years into her star turn as a surrealist, Oppenheim broke free from a movement that often dismissed women as muses, only to continue innovating in semi-obscurity. Nobody will give you freedom, she observed. You have to take it. Daily Quiz Our baristas will serve you a new question each day this week. On Friday, your challenge is to give us all five answers and, as important, tell us the connecting theme. Email your responses and include mention of your home city and country by 1700 BST on Friday to quizespresso at economist.com. We'll pick randomly from those with the right answers and crown one winner per continent on Saturday. Monday. Which New Testament gospel is widely considered to be part of a two-volume work along with the Acts of the Apostles? Finally, here's the quote of the day from John Keats. I was never afraid of failure, for I would sooner fail than not be among the greatest. <laughs>